I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The Tito's handmade vodka was ice cold, condensation trickling down the copper metal shaker. It's got to be fresh lime, they drawled. Tart, but balanced. They weren't normally this finicky about cocktail hour. But with Tito's, it had to be perfect. Simple syrup, the final ingredient. The sound of shaking filled the room to the brim. For the perfect pour at next week's book club, try the Tito's Gim Literature. Find the recipe at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Nature just never ceases to sort of throw out surprises and at you things that you you never thought that you'd hear or see when you're out and about. And I hear something in the background there. Is that what are we hearing? It's probably one of the next door neighbor's dogs. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape that no matter where you are. I'm Sam Evans Brown, and this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. And today we're sharing with you an episode of another show that we really like. Um, can you just introduce yourself maybe? G'day, my name's Anne and I present and produce Off Track, which is a nature program from Australia and I range all around the Australian continent recording sounds. See this tiny little bug here with the red abdomen? Mm-hmm. There's one there. Uh, sometimes common sounds and sometimes really way out sounds that no one's ever heard before. They make these really consistent, regular clicks, which are echolocation clicks. Anne loves to record sounds. She's a self-described bird nerd, which from a geographical perspective makes her very lucky because Australia is home to a lot of really interesting birds. We have screamers and cluckers and, you know, they make all sorts of crazy little sounds. (laughs) But among all of the species of Australian birds there's one that has proven to be more elusive than just about any other, the night parrot. The night parrot is a bird in Australia that sends bird people mad, literally. They'll be wandering around in the desert doing stupid things looking for this bird. (laughs) 
And remember, Australia is huge. It's about the size of the entire contiguous United States. But most of it, like the whole interior really, is bush. It's very lightly inhabited. The nearest place you might find a night parrot would take you maybe three days, oh two days, God. full driving. <laughs> so we're, li- we're talking literally the middle of nowhere, what we call out the back of Burke in Australia. And way out there, out the back of Burke, looking for birds is hard, and it attracts strange characters and even stranger stories. Oh, it's extremely hot. You're probably covered with flies. The spinifex is all around you, which is an incredibly spiky plant. It's not a cactus. It's like a big ball of grass that just wants to kill you if you walk past it. And <laughs> what, what you've got to imagine is that out there you're possibly hundreds of kilometres from the nearest person. So what exactly happens, we will probably never know. So today we're handing the show off to Anne so she can take us on the hunt for the night parrot. Now keep in mind, this podcast was produced in Australia, so you will hear lots of Australianisms, but this has got to be one of my favorite birding stories ever. And all the lingo from Down Under just gives it a little bit more charm. So enjoy. I'm Ann Jones, and I'm taking part in a chase that has gone on over millennia. We're searching for a bird that's so rare, it might just be a ghost. It's the night parrot. Throughout the history of the search, especially in the last 200 years, the night parrot has attracted controversy and characters. Professor Penny Olsen from the Australian National University has recently published a book called Night Parrot, Australia's Most Elusive Bird, and this bit stood out to me. She wrote that contemporary night parrot politics is characterised by obsessiveness, competitiveness, dishonesty and downright nastiness. 
No wonder, she writes, the bird has hidden from view for so long. This is one of the most harsh environments in the world. If you go out here, you have to have everything. Be totally self-sufficient, because here there is no help. This bloke is called Harry Butler. He's like an early Steve Irwin. He's a can-do bloke who had a TV show about wildlife in the 1970s. In this episode of In the Wild, Harry goes out in a terry-toweling hat and a pair of stubby shorts, and not much else, to try and find the night parrot. The most intriguing of the vanished animals known in this area is the night parrot. Oh, bloody hell. Pardon the language, but that's the way I feel. That's the fifth one so far. And that's what you expect coming through this sort of country. All this fuss about a little green bird about that long looks like a fat budgerigar. And yet, if it's vanished from here, it's probably totally extinct across Australia. Extinct. Or is it just secretive and incredibly rare? Or... Was the night parrot banished from human company long ago, in the dream time? Before colonial Australia, the traditional owners inhabited the whole continent, even the driest parts of the desert. And they had intricate ties to the land and nature, and they passed down cultural and environmental information in stories. And the night parrot, it has a story. This man is called Yalalabos, and he was born in the desert on Birliburu country. And he lived a traditional desert life until he was 15 years old, almost an adult. That's when he walked into a mission. He speaks almost no English. And while the billy boils on the campfire and princess parrots are looking to find a roost near the camp, Yelalabos tells his story. It's being translated by Biriliburu elder and traditional owner Rita Cutter. It starts with two ancestor beings. They're talking with all the different birds and animals, sort of sorting out the order of the world, putting things into groups. But the night parrot, he didn't want to be a part of it. But I go right back to that dream time. They wanted to get him, have a look at him name him so he can be amongst the rest of the birds. But this little bird, as soon as he seen them, he just disappeared. And they looked, looked, lifted, nothing. They tried to get him out of that big jumpy, flooding it, hailstones. It caused all that big rain to come, try and get him out. Nothing he didn't move. But really, it's a mystery to us too. It's muddled. Make that noise now, what are you making? Even in the dreaming, the night parrot was a loner and the spiritual forefathers of Matu, that is, of people, were chasing him. In the intervening years, the searching hasn't stopped. 
English ornithologist John Gould officially named the night parrot in 1860, and I asked Professor Penny Olson if it was possible to pinpoint when the parrot became a prize. Yeah, I'd have to say fairly soon after Gould gave it a name that became a desirable. So almost straight away, the South Australian Museum sent their collector, Frederick Andrews, out looking for them. That's a whistling kite, not a night parrot. And Frederick Andrews was one of the very first men who had a particular ruthless tenacity for the night parrot search, in particular through arid South Australia. We think something like 28 specimens that are now in museums were collected by him, and there's only 30-odd in museums, all told. He was, seems like an interesting character, rather rather solitary. He got into the grog rather too much and met a fairly sorry end. Andrews was found floating face down in a waterhole near a place called Dismal Gully in South Australia. The most successful of all hunts for the night parrot had come to an end. That was all fairly mysterious, like the bird itself. And then, of course... Hardly anybody else collected any since Andrew's time, which was in the 1870s. So it got more and more sought after, more and more mythical. In the intervening years since Andrew shot all those birds and sent them to museums, colonial farming and clearing and change in land management and fire regimes, as well as introduced pests, cats in particular, all of that contributed to the decline of the night parrot there were almost no confirmed sightings of the parrot. But there were always these serendipitous sort of stories of night parrot sightings, just enough to keep up the thirst of bird watchers and scientists. So over the years, those birders were taking inland holidays and documentary makers were searching and national parks rangers were put on alert, but no-one found the bird alive. Professor Penny Olsen. Over the years, it became more and more mythic in status... So people started looking and bird watchers have their lists and so it was high on the, the list as a prize for twitches, if not people concerned for its well-being. Australian National University ecologist Julian Reed has been chasing the bird for 25 years. He thinks he's come close and believes he's even heard one. And what, what do they sound like? It's a whistling note, but all I can say is say it in words is grrk grrk. Even the most respected academic saying gert 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 was not going to cut it. Everyone wanted proof. That's not a night parrot. I think it's a grey shrike thrush. Nick Lesberg is writing a PhD in ecology at the University of Queensland, which focuses on the night parrot. The thing was that as it got longer since the bird had definitely been seen, the higher the bar got set to have a sighting proven and accepted. The people that were likely to see night parrots by the time they declined significantly were the people that spent a lot of time on the land. So you're talking about, you know, some of the traditional owners, um, farmers, farmhands. And when you get back in the literature, you realise that there is actually this steady persistence of reports in the literature. And they're often people that didn't know birds. They might have known that what they were seeing was unusual, but that would be the extent of it. And we got to the point where the only thing that would have proven the night parrot existed was a dead one by the side of the road. And that was what eventually happened. 
Ornithologist Philippa Horton from the South Australian Museum says it's one of the world's rarest birds. It was believed to be extinct until 1990. A dead specimen was picked up in Western Queensland on the side of a country road. It's rather like finding proof that uh, Tasmanian tigers are still alive. The find could also win a $50,000 award posted by Dick Smith from Australian Geographic for anyone who could uh, provide proof of the parrot's existence. And if I sort of turned around and looked down, there was uh, a very dead parrot sitting <laughs> next to my foot. Yes, it's sounding awfully like a Monty Python sketch, I have to say, the dead parrot. The dead bird didn't share any secrets. It only indicated that the night parrot might still be out there it put fuel on the bird-watching fire. This bird is, is something out of this world. Rumours circulated. There were unconfirmed reports and people searched and searched. It's a chase. It's a thrill of the chase. This is John Young. And anything really rare, it's like finding a, a giant gold nugget as far as I'm concerned. Young says he started searching for the parrot in 1989. People were saying, you'll never find it, you'll never do it, and I think that's probably one of the worst things you can say to me. You'll, the harder it becomes, as my grandfather used to say, he said, when it gets tough, that's when the tough get going, and I suppose I'm still a little hard of nails. I'd probably want to be these days. That's a little Corella. From 1989, when Young started to search, it wasn't until 2007 that the Bush Telegraph came alive with a report that a greater driver called Shorty had found a decapitated bird near a fence line in western Queensland. It was a night parrot. It had flown into the fence and cut its own head off, and John Young went straight to western Queensland to follow that lead. But it was 10 past 12 in April 2007. I was laying there, and young James Hardy, probably 10 feet away, and we're sort of both half asleep, and I heard this did it, did it, way off. And I thought, what the hell is that? And, and I woke James up and I, I said, can you hear that? We sat there for a while and my hair stood up the back of my neck. I thought, God, you know, if this is the Holy Grail, we're so close, it's not funny. I was shaking so much, it was just amazing. And I put the microphone on the back of the, the trail and let it run and we recorded this four-note call. This is the sound that John Young says he recorded that night in 2007. But despite being within metres of the parrots, he didn't see them. He wanted a photo to go with that sound, and it's probable, really, that ornithologists and birders would want evidence that John Young had really found this lost bird as well. This was a boy-who-cried-wolf scenario. Previously, John Young had made claims of finding rare or extinct species other parrots, which were unsubstantiated scientifically. And one of those claims had been in 2006, the year before he took this recording. So even if it was the biggest ornithological news since the extinction of the dodo, Young kept the news mostly to himself and says that he continued to search. I don't know, I was like a terrier dog, I have to say. I, I just couldn't leave it alone. It was, it was like it was blood in my veins and I just didn't want to stop. I just, I couldn't stop. Seven years later, on a 2013 trip to Western Queensland with a bird watcher, John Stewart, Young was losing faith that he would ever lay eyes on a night parrot. Then my wife, Lindy, uh, unfortunately we're not together now, but that's, that's another story, um, 
I remember ringing Lindy that night and she said, don't you come home until you find the parrot. So, so I thought, oh, what the hell? You know, let's go 800 metres further over, find another patch of same and, and see what happens. And we got over there to look at this place, same sort of thing, and this thing went off right on dusk. I just couldn't believe it. The only way anyone is going to believe this is, you know, is if we get photographs of it. So we spent two more nights there and... Um, Sure enough, right on, right on dusk, and he called maybe three or four times, and he was about to go past us about 25 metres away, and it went quiet, and I thought, it's either now or never. So I played the call. That is, John Young used playback, playing a taped bird call with the idea that any live bird in the area will come to investigate who is making all that noise. And um, all of a sudden there was this buzzing, and there was a lot of funny noises, but I tipped my camera up very slowly and nervous as hell and I fired the flash off. I looked at the back of the camera and there was nothing, just a blurred bit of grass. I tell you, Ian, my, my heart just fell through the floor. And um, then I said, OK, that's it, put the torch on him. So we did and I had, um, I had the bird uh, with me for, for 35 minutes on the ground, all different angles. Eventually we had to put something between some tussocks to stop from running away. And um, eventually after getting shots, I don't know how many images of that, it was hundreds, and... Um, Oh, Jesus, you know, <laughs> I can't describe what it was like. I had tears running down my face and poor old John was in tears and we just stood there and just looked at each other and he just, holy s***, excuse the language, what have we just done? And um, I couldn't talk. I never slept for three days, I have to say. Um, I thought, this is the best that my birding world is ever going to get. This is the birdwatching equivalent of finding Elvis working flipping burgers in an outback roadhouse that's just that big. I think you could say one of the holy grails. It's, it's one of the world's rarest species, probably. It's incontrovertible. He's got stills, he's got moving videos, and he's got feathers. Today, he's going to show evidence of his find in Brisbane. In 2006, experts claimed this John Young photo of a blue-fronted fig parrot was tampered with. But Mr Young says this time it's the real deal. There's absolutely no doubt. I made mistakes before, but I won't do it again. So we've got a well-documented sighting of the night parrot, but we've also got an unreliable birder. More on the hunt for the night parrot from Off Track in just a minute. The Tito's handmade vodka was ice cold, condensation trickling down the copper metal shaker. It's got to be fresh lime, they drawled. Tart, but balanced. They weren't normally this finicky about cocktail hour. But with Tito's, it had to be perfect. Simple syrup, the final ingredient. The sound of shaking filled the room to the brim. For the perfect pour at next week's book club, try the Tito's Gim Literature. Find the recipe at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Welcome back to Outside In. Today, we're hearing from Ann Jones of Off Track, a great podcast from the other ABC. That's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's the story of a rare, once-thought-to-be-extinct bird called the night parrot. Before the break, we heard about how a practiced bushman named John Young had, after years of speculation, finally captured pictures and even feathers from a night parrot. But as Ann told me when I talked to her about this story, he's something of an unreliable narrator. There's been several cases in 
the Australian media and in the Australian birding community where he might have falsified, um, allegedly falsified some sightings and allegedly photoshopped photos to make them appear like different species. Mm. And look, there is absolutely no doubt that he found the parrots. Right. Um, right. Some of the question marks are around how he found the parrots. Right. <laughs> so that's where we dive back into the story. The night parrot exists, so now what? Some of John Young's practices, including the methods with which he got those photos, have recently been publicly called into question. Sounds, feathers and new nest sites from Young's now severed employment with the Australian Wildlife Conservancy are, at the time of making this documentary, the subject of an independent review. Young chose not to comment on the allegations. His find in Western Queensland was a triumph. It led him to work with Dr Steve Murphy, a pivotal scientific figure in the story of night parrot conservation. And once the significance of the place where Young found the birds was established and then the politics and funding all aligned, it became one of Australia's newest conservation reserves. It's called Pullen Pullen and its exact location is to be kept a secret. But a visit there is the best chance I have of hearing the night parrots for myself. Surrounded by pastoral leases, Bush Heritage Australia Reserve Manager Shelley Inglis describes this special place. That's a diamond dove. Pullen Pullen is traditional land for the Moali people and so say you're coming in from the north, you would be coming in through the flat top mesas and it's got a real red sunburnt colour to the soil going down into... Um, large patches of spinifex and then down to floodplain country and then after rain those floodplains can support a huge range of different grasses and forbs and herbs that are critical feeding for the night parrot and then going further with more flat top mesas coming down to the gibber plains I guess you could describe them like a moonscape and then coming across those you get these depressions where a variety of little plants are surviving just in these small depressions where water can be captured and that can help support amazingly night parrot food which is I think yeah really really cool and so when you're there you often think how does anything survive in this place it's really quite incredible the creatures that are living out here The majority of what we now know about this enigmatic parrot is from research that was conducted on this reserve by Dr Steve Murphy and others, including Nick Lesberg. They spend the day roosting in these tunnels that they make in spinifex hummocks. At about sunset, they wake up, come out, fluff themselves up a bit, sit around... And then half an hour they start calling. They call to each other and then they fly out. We know that at Pull and Pull and they feed in these specific areas, these little patches of productivity. And, and the birds seem to seek out these areas and they'll spend the night there feeding. About an hour before sunrise, they'll return to these roosting areas. Trundle in, 
sit there for the day and do it all again when the sun goes down. What do you think a night parrot would dream about? <laughs> I don't know. I know they'd have nightmares about cats. Um, I don't know what they dream about. Maybe a big spiky hummock of spin effects to make a nice safe tunnel in. <laughs> I don't know. I've got a huge parabolic microphone and together with Shelley and Nick, I'm sitting on the ground in the spin effects at dusk on Bullen Bullen Reserve, hoping to hear a night parrot. It's 15 minutes after sunset and that noise was just my stomach being picked up by the microphone. That's how quiet it is out here. It's 40 minutes after sunset at Bullen Bullen and I'm sitting in red dust between these ancient stone mesas and we're going to give up soon because we're not hearing anything. There's probably only a hundred people in the whole world who have ever heard this sort of display. Nick Lesberg is going through thousands of hours of sound recordings and so far he has identified about 15 different call variations that the night parrot has. You can break them up into three categories. The whistle calls. Calls just like we call, I call that toot. And then there's a two-note whistle, which is like a... There's all these variations on whistles. There's also that long hollow whistle. Um, And then there's the bell-like calls, of which ding-de-ding is one. And then there's this other call called croak. Croak call is like a, it's separate to both of those. It sounds like a little frog. And that's like a contact call. They use that a lot. It seems like when the birds are close to each other, it's like inside voice or something. Now that calling period happens every night and it seems to happen whether it's wet, whether it's dry, whether it's hot, whether it's cold. Every single night you get this calling period. And what that provides is a completely repeatable and very efficient method of detecting them. So you put out these recording units. It records the sound and then you can subsequently analyse it back at your desk on your computer or whatever. So now that we know what the birds sound like, there's this surge of people doing that sort of research. Bird watchers, ecological consultants, land managers, they're all searching for this elusive parrot that looks a lot like a fat budgerigar. For this program alone, we have travelled about 3,000 kilometres, almost a full lap of the Australian continent, from WA to South Australia, all the way up to Queensland and back around to the top of WA again. Now, 
In the wild northwest of Australia, Paraku Indigenous rangers in the Kimberley have found the night parrots on their country using sound and camera traps. And further south, in the place where we started this program, in the Birriliburu Indigenous Protected Area, closed to all without a permit, the Indigenous rangers are searching. Dr Vanessa Westcott from Bush Heritage Australia works with the rangers and provides scientific support for their search, doing things like helping them put out sound recorders. The Birriliburu rangers know the kind of habitat, the kind of country that the night parrot likes, the big old spin effects and... The rangers drove to absolutely incredible country where the night parrot would like to live and they put the sound recorders out and Rita that night was lying in her swag and she touched her heart and she went, oh, I think they're there, I can feel them. Rita Cutter was born in the desert and she lived there until she was five years old when she walked in with her mother. Now, many decades later, she's returning to country as an elder to listen for this bird. Really, I am keen to find a night parrot. And I want to be one of them. First person to find it, if I do find it, and be very proud of it. It's in my country. The scientific sound recorders on Buru are listening right now. They hear pigeons, tiny bats, and camels, which sound terrifying. Then one windy night, there's this. While they still need more evidence to confirm, the Birriliburu Indigenous Rangers are almost certain that they've found the night parrot. It's a full circle. The future protection of the night parrot returns to where it began, with the people who guard the dreaming stories and who are now listening for the soft ding-da-dings of one of the most rare and secretive birds of the world. That was Anne Jones of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. This episode was a co-production with the BBC World Service. You can find more Off Track by searching your podcast app for Off Track ABC. Also, just a quick note here, Anne tells me her reporting for the story led her down a whole nother rabbit hole that led to her being briefly reassigned to the ABC's investigative team. That story is coming out in a couple weeks, so be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Outside In Radio in basically all the channels you can imagine. We'll be sure to put up some links to that story when it comes out. Outside In is produced by me, Sam Evans-Brown, Taylor Quimby, Justine Paradise, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Erica Janik is our executive producer, and Maureen McMurray is the director of Transcontinental Radio Field Trips. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. 
Everyone knows that the best way to tell a good story is over a good drink. Spirit in a Bottle, Tells and Drinks from Tito's Handmade Vodka, brings them together. In its first ever cocktail book, Tito's offers fans recipes, mixology tips, and a never-before-seen look at its journey from a one-room distillery to becoming America's favorite vodka. Order your copy today at titosvodka.com slash book. Read it and sip with Tito's. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly.